0: Good morning. We are broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair. Appreciate that little bumper music. It is 55 degrees right now, partly cloudy. Sunny skies later today. We should see a high of about 77. A wild difference from a week ago when we were all sweating under the hot sun. We are wearing jackets and sweaters now in front of WCCO Radio's booth. It has been a long time since I have broadcast from the Minnesota State Fair, and my guest for the next hour is Jan Malcolm. She's the former Minnesota Health Commissioner and now head of a new task force to look at health care at the University of Minnesota. Jan, thanks for coming to the fair. Well, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, here we are in front of a quiet crowd. It's early. <laughs> it's early, as you found out trying to get in. <laughs> right. It's like, what? It opens at 7, so mm-hmm.
1: hopefully more and more people will come. Mm-hmm. A perfect day for the fair, though, wouldn't you say? Oh, it is, and you're right. What a relief after the oppressive heat and humidity. I felt so sorry for the folks who had to work in that
0: I know. In that
1: heat, but, And know. a lot of people do. So yeah, if,
0: every day they yeah. have no choice. Right. So we're grateful that it's turned a bit and grateful for the fall. I wanted to have you on because... I just think you're an interesting person. You've been through what I would call hell. I, I would, too. <laughs> of course, the pandemic, which it's hard to believe at the end of this year, we're coming on three years since it started, isn't it? Doesn't it just seem like
1: what just happened? What did we just live through? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's something I hope we'll talk more about is it was such a, um, an important experience in so many ways, devastating um, and I think it's really important that we spend some time talking and getting multiple perspectives on what did we learn from that? And what should we do differently, not only in future public health emergencies, because we, will, we know we'll have some. We just don't know what or when. Right. Um, but we learned a lot of valuable lessons and hard-won lessons. And I, I will be, um, you know, I think it's the way to honor the suffering that so many people Experience certainly health, but, you know, business, learning, so many things were disrupted. Shame on us if we don't really take a, a hard look at lessons learned and what we could do better. Did it surprise you, the
0: anger and outrage and politicization of what went down in the months that followed the real heat of the pandemic?
1: Well, yes, it did, it did. And yeah. and it was uh, certainly one of the complicating factors that, that made the work so much harder. Um, there was so much um, both misinformation, to, mm-hmm. it be- and it was understandably confusing, because it, I think we still, have to remind ourselves that it was a brand new virus yeah. it's still a very new virus it's still evolving mm-hmm. still there mm-hmm. um and so much we did not know at the beginning and as as we learned more the information changed and i know that that was frustrating for people to to have the the, the health guidance um evolving and but that's really the nature of science is it it does change as you learn more uh, but yes, it was the, the the changing information, but then the manipulation of mm-hmm. information, and the, and the not just the misinformation, but the disinformation. People really spreading um, you know untruths that they they actually knew to be untrue, and people were very very passionate about their
0: opinions, true or not, as to. The severity of it. I mean, many, many people I talked to were like, well, it's just like the flu. I'm like, I don't think it is just like the flu. Um, And it started a lot of fights. I mean, there were times where with my dear best friend, best friends had to back off and say, I'm not going to fight this fight. We're at a restaurant. We're having a nice dinner. (laughs) I'm not going to have a knockdown drag uh, about. It's true. I think it's
1: a really good point that um, this it. It, it touched something really deep in people's value sets and in people's views about the role of government. Um, you know, the, the hard thing for me was that people thought we were trying to, like, mess up their lives just because we we enjoyed it or something. Yeah. Was, although the restrictions that were not easy decisions... Mm-hmm. Um, were, were done to try to protect people especially very vulnerable people and it might have been a very mild illness for a lot of us but for a lot of people it was deadly mm-hmm. and we and again at the beginning and even throughout as the virus kept evolving um, it, it it was not an easy thing to say well, this person's going to be safe and this person's not going right. to be safe and with especially before we had vaccines and treatments the only thing we could do to Protect people and to try to preserve the capacity of the healthcare system was to try to limit the spread of the virus.
0: Right. We're talking to Jan Malcolm, the former health commissioner for the Minnesota Department of Health, now the head of a new task force on health professionals and training at the University of Minnesota. But we're reflecting this first little bit about the pandemic that while we're not over it, the emergency piece is over. And that has a lot of people sort of resting on their laurels, sort of thinking that it's no big deal. Right. And I just got COVID, again, it's my second time, um, two weeks ago, feeling better, thank you. Okay. And um, But it, again, it's my second time, um, two weeks ago, feeling better, thank you. Okay. And um, But it's still pretty powerful. I mean, I was pretty sick, and as I told uh, the audience last week that I actually went to the emergency room because I couldn't breathe very well. And so it's nothing to mess with, even right. though we have vaccinations and we have boosters, etc., etc., et cetera. So that is the key.
1: It's, yeah. This is a virus that we do not expect is going to go away. It's going to be part of the circulating viruses, of which there are many. Um, but the key now is that we have the tools to manage it. We have vaccinations. We have treatments. We have uh, improved our uh, methods for surveillance, uh, for knowing quickly what's happening. Um, the, just the scientific advancements were really something to to be proud of and to marvel at how quickly that happened. Really, um, but but now now it's up to us really to use the tools that we have, and I think to be mindful of of the risks to ourselves, but also to the to our fellow citizens mm-hmm. and our families our co-workers there are you know every one of us knows our elderly somebody, parents yes everybody every one of us knows someone who's who's very vulnerable to mm-hmm. a you know to really severe case so be, just being being compassionate with each other and being uh, sensitive to the fact that for a lot of people things have not gone back to normal yeah. um, folks with Immune, uh, immune compromising conditions are, are really, you know, the vaccines don't work as well mm-hmm. on, a, on a number of people. Even if they would love to get the vaccine, yeah. they need that extra protection of people around them um, you know, being careful. And, you know, please don't, please still don't go out and socialize if you know that you have, uh, that you're positive because uh, you don't know who you might be putting at great risk. So uh, th- those things about, you know, when you're sick, you know, keep you know, just take those precautions. Stay stay home, um, and when you are going out, you know, be be really mindful of who you're with. Do you think, Jan, that we should reinstate any kind of mask
0: policy now, given that we're sort of seeing a bump again?
1: You know that that's such a. Uh, political well, and such charged. It's a fascinating thing. Though, char- it, it's yeah. the question of, okay, so we know, and I'm, I know some people still don't believe it, but the data are pretty darn clear that masks are very helpful in, uh, in, in helping to stop the spread and helping to protect people uh, from, um, from being exposed by somebody else. Um, so we know that they're, that, that they can, they're a helpful tool. At, at what point do you mandate? Do you require people to do it? And that's that's where I think it became really contentious. That uh, people felt, past a certain point in time, um, that 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 we should we should leave it up to people to make good decisions. And I would love to have that be successful. That if we we all have the information, we are mindful of the people around us and the risk they may be at. Um, I certainly intend to wear masks in the winter for a lot of reasons (laughs) i think it's good for protecting against flu um you know this rsv virus that uh we've seen a huge uptick in in the last couple of years so i think in other interestingly other countries just culturally there's no big deal to wear masks in respiratory virus season they just do Mm -hmm. um but here in america and i think that
0: it's about well being told to do something exactly that sort of goes against the grain of who we are as a society. And uh, I think that's the crux of it. I know? think so,
1: yeah. And that's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable debate to have. When do you need to, uh, when do you need to use those tools uh, of, of public health law um, or a governor's you know, authorities uh, to protect the broader community? And I think it, you have to be judicious about that because people's patience and tolerance for that has limits and you want to use those those mandate policies when there's a really clear benefit to it
0: Jan Malcolm is our guest again she is the former commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Health now head of a task force on health professional training at the University of Minnesota and we invite you to call in or text in or come up if you have a question in the audience here we're broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair Six five one four six one nine two two six. That's the talk and text line. The city's one talk and text line. We'll take a quick break and be back with much more on this health hour on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. And we're back, broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair. Hope everybody's having a nice morning. It's early. We're at 723. It's 56 degrees. Actually, it's perfect fair weather. If you ask me, would you rather be like sweating with a fan on you or would you rather have a nice little sweatshirt, cup of coffee? I see some folks out in front here with their coffee and their sweatshirts. I have my jean jacket. Our guest is Jan Malcolm. She's the former commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Health. She's also heading up a brand-new task force at the University of Minnesota on health Issues, Jan. Thank you for being on the State Fair porch here. Thank you.
1: Nice, it's to nice here. to
0: see people starting to mill about and have their coffee. And our dear sweet Michelle, who keeps everything running here at WCCO Radio, just came over with a a French crepe, ham and cheese, a little breakfast crepe. That sounds delicious at this hour. But I won't leave you, Jan. I'll stay here. <laughs> um, we were talking about the pandemic because. It's coming up on three years since the beginning, uh, that crazy time in March of 2020. 20. So it's yeah. been over three years. Actually. Yeah, over three years yeah. that we that yeah. it came upon us with a blast of furnace air. And, and we're, we've learned a lot. We've come a long way, but it's still not quite out of the woods. Um, and reflecting, like you said at the beginning of the show, to think about... What lessons did we learn? How would we do things differently in the event of another mm-hmm. pandemic, of which you say mm-hmm. we're likely to see in our
1: lifetime? Well, you know, I think that's one of the things that I that don't want to be a you know doom a doomsayer, a doomsayer. Here, but yeah. um, you know, we used to think these sort of things were once in a century kind right, of events. Right, well, right. you know. It, it appears not I mean just even with respiratory um, viruses and that some of which didn't become a full global pandemic but were significant epidemics in different parts of the world, there's been a lot going on in the last decade or so. There's just a lot of virus out there you know it has to do with glo- you know the globalization of the economy, travel things just move around the world with lightning speed in in ways that they didn't before. Um, and we we just need to be um, aware that, that a health, something that happens in another country can be here in 24 hours. And, right. And so we just have to be ready. Right. Um, and I think, again, it's, it's not necessarily just another pandemic that we have to think about, but any kind of uh, new health threat, that moves quickly and affects a lot of people. I think we've we've we learned some good lessons. We've developed some new um, skills in how to stand up. You know, significant things like the state testing program, mm-hmm. or the uh, the big uh, vaccination sites that right. were really important right. at moments in time where you couldn't find tests easily, right. or I remember the beginning, or the you know the, the vaccines that were in such short supply early on, and people had a hard time getting getting them at the, you know, the, the normal places that mm-hmm. they would get. Mm-hmm. So I think we learned how to supplement, you know, the the healthcare system in some really important ways that we need to uh, be ready to do that. And part of the problem is both the healthcare workforce and the public health workforce, we have less people working in healthcare and public health today than we did at the beginning of the pandemic. That's not good. We need to, we need to rebuild these fields um, and it, because we need that every day, not just in an emergency. Do you think that the trauma of going through,
0: for example, a nurse that suffered through day in and day out of death and then leaving the business, mm-hmm. do you think that that's why people left and do you think that it will be hard to get them back?
1: I think the experiences during the pandemic both just the, the sheer you know uh, intensity and pressure and unrelenting three years of a full sprint you know just was very exhausting for a lot of folks a lot of people have chosen uh, have chosen to go to part-time change specialties change where they practice or just change careers altogether or retire if they can um, and so I think it, it the, the pandemic certainly, was a, a an important factor um, But we know that you know, the, the health workforce is also aging um, it, Particularly We look at uh, rural uh, Minnesota We know that a you know, large proportion Of the physicians and the nurses The pharmacists, the public health workers Are, are t- getting toward retirement And we don't see enough people Coming into the fields Especially to practice in you know in rural areas or in some of our our underserved communities, so we had a problem that's been growing for a while, but the pandemic just really exacerbated it and the you know it was both the, just the intensity of the work but also the you, you mentioned earlier some of the, the just the, the really difficult parts of the contention and people being so angry and uh, you know accusing their physicians and their nurses of of trying to do them harm, um, you know, and, and wanting treatments that the health professionals wouldn't give them because they knew they were dangerous. Um, it just became very, very nasty in some some circumstances, which was really heartbreaking. I had a neighbor who believed that
0: Anthony Fauci was actually financially benefiting, had some investment, some stake in it, mm-hmm. and he got COVID, this neighbor, And he refused treatment. He refused all things because he was so mad at Anthony Fauci. And he died. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. That's
1: a tragic story. It's
0: it's a terrible story. Like he died at home by himself of this illness because he refused care because he was so upset and angry at the system. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's the intensity with which so many people really felt that Mm -hmm. it's all a bunch of hooey and they're just trying to get us. And it just feels funny because it's like at no point was anything malicious. You know, the effort and the intensity and it just feels funny because it's like at no point was anything malicious. You know, the effort and the intensity and the decisions that were made were made to try to help people not die that was it yeah, yeah. No, that's
1: exactly right that's exactly right yeah. and um and i think it's important to acknowledge you know that that th- there were costs to those things and, sure. and that's very clear i mean people's businesses you know with the learning um disruption to learning with kids you know not being we're still able seeing to be in person we're Absolutely. still seeing that it's a big deal and we and again we i think that's why it's so important to f- take stock of well, what did we what did we learn what might we what would what would we do differently now i think you know if we could have more quickly gotten schools to adapt you know and adopt policies to keep the school environment safer you know would be a great goal to like let's for heaven's sakes improve the ventilation in the schools and and, and have things like testing and you know and vaccinations and rapid access to treatment for the teachers and whatever i mean just thinking about how to how to how to prepare and how to protect uh, some of these critical sectors and and nursing homes oh my gosh oh, that was terrible yeah, what a heartbreak um, so how do we do a better job i mean nursing homes have have struggled for a long time with infection control they 're short staffed they they need more training they need more people um, And along comes a pandemic into a a situation that was already stressed. Right. Um, So, again, another thing that I think was such an important learning is how connected all these parts are. The hospitals were too full, both because, you know, not enough people were taking preventive actions, but they also couldn't discharge people to the nursing homes because the nursing homes didn't have enough staff. To take patients. Yeah. So the whole thing is connected, and we, just, we have to really be mindful of you can't fix one problem in isolation and expect it to stay fixed. you got to look at the, the whole system
0: which kind of leads us to your conversation about the work that you're doing at the University of Minnesota. So why don't we do this at 7.32. We'll take a break here at the bottom of the hour. We'll do some weather. We'll let folks know what the temperature is and what it's going to be today and the next couple of days. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Jan Malcolm, former commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Health as well about her new task force on health professional training at the University of Minnesota. We're back on 830-WCCO, broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair. And we're back. We're broadcasting live from the Minnesota State Fair. It is 736 on a Sunday morning. Happy to have you with us. Nice to see people out milling about. The sun is shining. It's a little, I'd say, brisk. 56 right now. But, you know, we cannot complain about the weather because it was brutal last week. And so now we're finally reaping the rewards of a kind of a, a nice fall morning. Folks have got their coffee and a donut or whatever they're eating over there. I can't quite see, but it is making me hungry. I think me I, too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We have I hope you get a breakfast break at some point.
0: I'm going to run over there. At
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking to Jan Malcolm.
0: She's on the porch too. Jan is the former health commissioner for Minnesota. Also, she has a new job. Uh, she retired from that, and now she, you are. Tell us about this job, this task force. What's yeah. your What's the mission of the task force?
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm really um, honored that Governor Walls um, asked me to chair a task force to to help look at. Some of the challenges that are facing, particularly the University of Minnesota's health, um, health professions, health sciences programs, certainly the medical school, but also the nursing school and the School of Public Health and the School of Dentistry and all these these important health care providers that, boy, look what we just lived through and how dependent we are on excellent, excellent health care workers and excellent public health workers um, to take care of us every day, not not just in emergencies, and you know we talked a little bit earlier about the uh, aging of a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of folks um, it, particularly in rural areas and and in some of our communities that don 't have enough access to to providers um, and so that's that 's been an issue. you know How do you make sure that we keep training? world-class health professionals um, to meet the needs of the state. Um, and the university, and there are other you know, important training institutions around the state, too, so this this is sort of about how does the state support the, the continued training of world-class health professionals. The university trains the great majority of certainly the physicians um, in the state. And we're just looking at some trends that make us concerned about the need to make sure that um, that we're supporting that training pipeline um, because it's just it's sort of so key to everything yeah. else. If, we, if we, can't, we can't either do prevention or treatment <clears throat> to the standards that we've come to rely on if we don't have a really high-class workforce. Um, and so it's how do you do that? Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask. What's the solution? Well, it's, I mean, I think part of the issue is that um, you know, we've, we've got a pretty complicated health care system. You know? I'll say. Yeah, I mean, we've got insurance and we've got health systems competing with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, and everybody's rightly concerned about the, you know, the cost of healthcare and the yes. insurance premiums. And so in that environment, things like teaching and research tend to get squeezed. Mm. You know, it's sort of that pressure between the short term and the long term. And so the question is really, well, is there, what can the state do, you know, to support, um, to support that, those public aspects of, of the mission of training health professions?
0: Is it about incentivizing? Is it about, you know, what do you do to attract people to get into the field? Like, are there things you can say, you get a bonus, or you get a
1: a new car? <laughs> <laughs> nice idea. Yeah. Um, yes, I think all, the, and there are some programs, and certainly the federal government's very important in how we pay for health professions training, but we do a number of things at the state to try to support that too. So it's time to just kind of look at how are those programs working, um, and do we need to do more, and what more can we do, and is there you know kind of just thinking about who all benefits from the health workforce, and what should be the the way that the university partners with other health systems with other schools um, with the you know the technology industries that are so dependent on the health workforce it's kind of like Again, it's kind of a good lesson from the pandemic. Things things don't happen just magically. They right. happen, you know, with a strategy and with resources and with a plan. Right. And we just, um, I think it's a it's a really valuable time to kind of take take stock of what's happening to the health workforce in Minnesota and how do we support it and strengthen it.
0: Six five one four six one nine two two six. That's the number. If you can call, or you can text that on our city's one talk and text line, and we have folks back at the station that can get us that information. If you have a question, anyone listening out in the audience as well, if you have a question, you can jump up here on the porch and ask. But we're talking about this new task force. Um, tell me when it's going to start and what's yeah. the game plan.
1: This is um, this was created by uh, by the governor through an executive order just a couple weeks ago, and it's um, so under the executive order there will be 15 members of this task force. I'm the volunteer chair, so it's not a job exactly, but it's uh, something I'm, I'm I'm very happy to support and and work with uh, some of our leaders in the health environment on. Um, so folks who are interested uh, can apply on the Secretary of State's website um, and the the executive order specifies we need you know people with rural healthcare experience people with experience in training uh, a, a diverse workforce okay. um, people who know about healthcare finance a couple people specifically from the university the medical school and elsewhere in the university um People representing other health systems. So it, the there there are s- kind of criteria or skills or experiences that we're looking for on the task force, and that should be named in the middle of September. We hope um, and get going with our uh, f- our first meetings at the. End of September. It's a short task force. We we are are due to make a report to the governor and the legislature in January. Oh, see, so we, we are not going to solve all the problems of healthcare. You're uh, going to make recommendations, though. Yeah, it is to say <laughs> what are some options for. Um, how the you might uh, might partner differently, What can we learn from other states? We're not the only ones confronting health workforce challenges. What are others doing? Yeah, um, so we'll surface some options, make some recommendations really aimed at helping the governor and the legislature um, kind of process the, the requests that they've already gotten from the university for more resources to support this mission how important
0: is straight up money to incentivizing i mean like cuz we know like the healthcare professionals the personal service helpers mm-hmm. the, some the pay is still terrible for yeah. a lot of people
1: that are in health care i mean would that be a part of the solution well that that's it, how do you make the workforce attractive, as you were saying earlier? You know, and certainly pay is, is an important thing. How do we, you know, and look at, the, look at the parts of the system where we really have huge shortages. You mentioned personal care attendants, long-term care workers, primary care, mental health and behavioral health oh, specialists. Oh, sure, I mean, we, yeah. We, you know, it, and that, too, has to do with what are the pay scales for those jobs. It's a lot more lucrative to become a super specialist than a primary care doc. But we really have a critical need right. for some of some of those basic uh, skill sets as well. And I would imagine too, to some degree, perhaps the
0: communities themselves that need for some of some of those basic uh, skill sets as well. And I would imagine too, to some degree, perhaps the communities themselves that need the primary doctor might have. So, if it's a Thief River Falls or it's a Mankato or, you know, Wilmer that those communities might find ways as well to make themselves more attractive to those providers.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things that we do with some state funding, not a lot of state funding, but, um, for instance, we there's a program that helps support residency slots um, in some of those very communities to because we know that if people practice in a community, get trained in a community, they tend it's more likely that they'll stay there or sure. practice in a similar environment. Um, so there, there are things that we are already doing that we can look at how well is that working and can we beef it up But I do think there are some other models in other states to look at because again, it's, it's like this is the, the public missions of teaching and research are kind of embedded in this really complicated Healthcare financing world that's all about competition and, and it's it, the market can't fix everything no, and I think there's a real role for for uh, market forces and competition, but there are also these kind of public aspects to the to the mission that need that need to be kept front and center. It's
0: very convoluted, and I, I'm constantly scratching my head about how wacky the healthcare system is in terms of money, and that you know there was a great article in Time magazine several years ago called the poison pill. And it was about the fact that, like, okay, so I break my arm and I don't have insurance. How much does it cost? Okay, I break my arm and I have uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and this is how much it costs to fix it. I break my arm and I'm on Medicaid and this is how much it costs. So there's no cost. There's no straight up, okay, you break your arm, you're going to put a cast on, it costs $100. It's so messed up to me, and I don't know how you fix it, because I think the horse is out of the barn. I mean, insurance is here, Medicaid, Medicare, blah, blah, yeah. blah.
1: Well, and again, I think just want to reinforce this is a – we've got a specific mission and a short timeline. So all those things that you just mentioned are part of the complicating factors that make us need to ask the question, okay, given the complexity of the healthcare marketplace, um, what care marketplace, what does that mean for how we support – the the training of our future health professionals, and and how do how should we make sure that we continue to be at the leading edge of research? We we have so much to be proud of um, with our health system in Minnesota, both our health care and our public health. Um, again, we worked our hearts out during the pandemic, and I think you know time will, I think, just continue to show that we you know while not perfect by any means, we. We actually uh, performed pretty well as a state, and that was due to the incredible hard work and skill of so many people. Um, and, and and we are right to be proud of of care and health in Minnesota, but we can't take it for granted. We have to be really mindful of you know uh, the current challenges and what we're going to do differently in the future to meet some of those uh, the the things that we didn't need, we didn't worry so much about the pipeline for uh, or where people were practicing, we've lost so much access in rural Minnesota. It's a, I mean, it's a real concern. So we have to figure out what are we going to do about that. Sure.
0: All right, we have to take our final break. It is seven forty-eight on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. My name is Susan Jones. Susan Jones. Why did I say that? That's I've never my, heard you say my, it, Susan. I Susan. haven't. My <laughs> mom calls me Susan Jones when I'm in trouble. Susie Jones is my name. Six five one four six one nine two two six. We're back. After this on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back. It is 7.54 on a Sunday morning. Fair starting to pick up. You can kind of feel the energy out there. Folks are milling about, having their coffee, having their donuts, having their crepes with ham and cheese, which I will be popping over. Jan Malcolm is our guest. <laughs> He's the former health commissioner for the state of Minnesota. Jan, we have about, oh gosh, one minute. Isn't that terrible? Wow, it goes fast. So what we'll do is have you back on in uh, at when the report is ready. We'll talk about the That'd report. Be great. That would be great. Yeah. Well, I know you're off to your place up north. I hope you have a wonderful
1: week. Thank you. It's been, uh, I just want to say what it, it, I mean, these last years have been difficult, but it's also been an enormous privilege to serve Minnesota.
0: Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate your courage as well in the fact that I know that it wasn't not easy dealing with the public who was very emotional. So thank you so much, Jan Malcolm, former commissioner of the state of Minnesota, Susie Jones, and we're back with Your money on WCCO coming up right after this from the Minnesota State Fair.